Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, Making the Most of Your Salvation. So let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 16, verses 14 to 15, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Knowing Your Regeneration. I've been using my experience with technology as an example. I know that because of my lack of effort, I have not made full use of the technology that is available to me. I see I have technology both in my home, in my car, other places, but I'm not using it. Things that are available to me that I haven't even made the effort to learn. Well, that's not the end of the world. I think you're going to admit that, but I have used this as an analogy of how tragic it is when Christians don't know all that's available in their salvation and they're not making full use of it. See, up till now, I've spoken of our election as well as the wonderful truths that our sins were imputed to Christ and that Christ's sinless life has been imputed to us. And today I want to speak of another word, and this is the word regeneration. I like to call this getting a heart transplant. Did you know that if you're saved, you've received a heart transplant, and if you've not yet come to know Christ as your Savior and Lord, did you know a heart transplant is available for you because your heart is defective? And all of us have heard of heart transplants. It, it's a surgery that removes damaged or diseased heart from a patient and replaces it with a healthy one. But in spiritual terms, you know, our hearts are not really damaged. They're dead. They're unresponsive. That means prior to our conversion, we were completely incapable of responding to God. Moses saw that as he led the people of Israel out of Egypt. And you might remember these people had seen God devastate Egypt with a series of 10 plagues. Then they had seen God part the Red Sea and destroy the Egyptian armies by drowning them in that same sea. Then they got to Mount Sinai and the entire mountain shook and God spoke to them on the mountain and gave them the Ten Commandments. And then they saw a cloud of fire over the tabernacle every night. And then they saw a daily miracle of manna. God supernaturally fed them every single morning, along with the fact that their clothes and shoes supernaturally did not wear out for 40 years. And after all of that, how did they respond? Not well. And how come? Moses put it this way in Deuteronomy 29, verses 2 to 4. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. See, Moses knew that unless the dead heart of Israel would be replaced by a heart that God would give them, they would never respond to God by understanding and loving him. In fact, they were incapable of responding to him. And why was that? Well, the answer is simple. As a result of the fall, all human beings are spiritually dead. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So please see the image. Before our conversion, we were like the walking dead, like, you know, the zombie movies and all the zombie movies that they've made. Oh, yeah, we're alive in many ways. You know, we are alive physically. We're alive emotionally. We're alive to the culture around us. We're intellectually alive, but we're dead to God. We're incapable of responding to him. And that's why Paul says in Romans 3, 10 to 11, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. 
You know, Paul says that because he knows we're incapable of responding to God. You know, some have misunderstood this point, just like I misunderstand my computer software often. You might say, but I did respond to God when I heard the gospel, didn't I? And more so, wasn't I seeking God before that? And wasn't it my seeking of God that led me to make a choice for God? But here we misunderstand our own experience. You know, first understand that we are born dead in sin. David said so in Psalm 51 verse 5. He said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. It's called original sin. We're we're born into it. As I've said in this series, you are reckoned sinful in Adam and also his sin has infected you. You've never known a moment when you weren't a zombie, the walking dead. You think that's normal, but you don't know how abnormal you actually are. But just how sinful are we? And here's the answer. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So above all things, your heart is deceiving you constantly. Other translations say it's wicked. Well, how so? Are we incapable of honesty? Are we incapable of any moral action? Well, of course, we're capable of moral behavior. Indeed, sometimes people behave quite morally and lovingly, and they do things for one another that are decent and kind and good, and we laud that. But the disease of sin has affected every aspect of our humanity, emotionally, intellectually, morally, our wills, our decision-making capacity, our ability to love, our sexuality, all of that has been invaded by sin, which has twisted and distorted every aspect of us. We've become like a broken mirror, still reflects the glory of God, but it's distorted on every single level. So we might be attracted to God, but only in a distorted fashion. You know, for the moment, we hear that God is offended by our wicked behavior, and our hearts are going to immediately discount that. When we find that only the horrible slaughter of the Son of God can pay for our sins, we reject this as nonsense. We're dead in sins. We're dead to God. We're dead to righteousness. We're dead to his truth. We're dead to all that's in the gospel. You know, so strongly did the founders of the denomination that I served as a pastor for many years believe this, that in the first ever Mennonite Brethren Statement of Faith back in 1902, they stated, Man is conceived and born in sin as a child of wrath, incapable of, and not inclined toward the divine good, but capable of and inclined toward evil. In other words, they saw no free will that could reach out to God. They denied there was ever such a thing. Now, that sentiment was not only found among them, but in virtually every other Christian confession in history. For instance, the Westminster Confession, adopted by the Church of England, The Presbyterians and the Puritan groups from 1646 said, Man, by his fall into a state of sin, hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man being altogether averse from the good and dead in sin is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. In 1689, the London Baptists copied that line into their own statement of faith. And I'll go as far as this. Almost every single branch of Christianity in their history has stated virtually the same thing. Basically, they're repeating what Paul has said. No one seeks God. No one's even capable of it. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Well, if that's the case, how did anyone come to Christ? And and this is where we discover it. It's going to open the door to a wonderful secret. 
We've received a heart transplant. God did something to us, and we should learn about what it is. So let's start by reading Acts 16, 11 to 14. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Now watch this next line. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This opening of the heart is what the Bible often refers to as regeneration. If you've come to believe that's what's happened to you, let's unpack what that means. First, you've been given the spiritual ability to respond to God. It's what Jesus spoke of in his conversation with Nicodemus, John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And notice, Jesus didn't say, Enter the kingdom of God and you'll be born again. Instead, he said, First the new birth happens, then you enter the kingdom of God. Later on in verses 5 and 8, Jesus called this being born of the Spirit, meaning it's an action performed by the Holy Spirit. Just like your physical birth, you didn't choose your birth. Your parents chose that. So it is with your new birth. The Spirit of God chose that. And so either we say, God opened your heart, or we say, God gave you a new heart, or we might even say, you've been regenerated. So practically, what does all that actually look like? Well, we already saw in John chapter 3 that it's called being born again. But consider the other illustrations the Bible has given us of this same experience. Jeremiah 31, verse 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's a different image here, but God writes his commands inside of us so that we delight in them. They're a part of us now. When our hearts now hear the commands, rather than rebelling, rather than twisting them to make them sound like something that we can get along with, instead of all that, we delight in them. Are you a visual learner? Did you know that Back the Bible Canada has a weekly video series? All videos, past and current, are easily accessible on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or online at backtothebible.ca. Our Bible teaching videos cover a wide variety of biblical topics, giving you access to insights that provide you with a deeper understanding of the God of the Bible and the life He calls you to live. Check out this week's video Bible teaching program featuring Dr. John Newfeld. And be sure to never miss an episode, so subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information or to support the ongoing ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or donate securely online at backtothebible.ca. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And here we're told that if anyone is in Christ, the old life of being dead in our sins, that dead life has itself died. A new creation came into being, meaning that God created something new in us. 
Ephesians 4.24, Paul speaks of the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's a lot in that. You know, we know that we were all, that is, all human beings were created in the image of God in the first place. But that image has been broken and distorted and twisted. But now there's a new self which, which repairs and restores and creates a distinct resemblance of God. It's a likeness that is righteous and holy the way God is. Consider Colossians 3, verses 3 to 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So putting all this together, think of all the descriptions that we've been given of this thing, which is called regeneration. It's a new birth. It's a new creation. It's a new heart. It's a new self. It's God's commands written inside of us, making us love his commands. It's a new life which is hidden in God and has Christ as its theme. In other words, we have been made alive unto Christ, once dead to Christ and unable to respond to him. Now a new heart has created us to respond to him. Now notice, it's all been done by God. It's like a software package in my computer, but it's so much more. I've gotten a heart transplant. It's clearly explained in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Oh, that's why you came to believe. And that's also what now characterizes you from this day onward. That's what's going on inside of you. You should know that. So what does regeneration look like? Well, if you're in Christ today, your inner self has now been recreated to respond to God. Oh, it is true that you still have the flesh and you're called upon to mortify or to kill the flesh. The flesh is that habitual pattern in you that remembers the sinful ways of Adam. You know, I've sometimes compared that to memory metal. You know, I used to have glasses that if you bent them, you could get them to regain their original shape. And all you'd have to do is is to heat the metal, and the heat would allow the metal to revert back to its original shape. And that's the flesh. It's the power of sin to live in your lower nature. So whenever there is pressure or whether there is some unease in you, the, the flesh bends you back to its sinful patterns. That's the pattern you've inherited in Adam. Well, we all know that's the struggle that Paul refers to in Romans 7, where he says, it is no longer I who do it, it's sin living in me. But something new has occurred. We we got a heart transplant. The center of all that we are now is made new. It's been created by God to respond to him and to delight in him. The heart, your heart, now wants the things of God more than anything else. Okay, all we've done up till now is describe what this thing is, That has happened in every single person who calls Jesus Savior and Lord. But we've entitled this series, Making the Most of Your Salvation. You know, it's one thing to know this, but what does this thing change? How can I make use of this? Well, it's like discovering what my software package can do. So what does this do? What is it that regeneration produces? I'm going to show you a number of exciting things that are in you because of your regeneration. And the first four of them are found in 1 John. The last one's found in Romans. So let's begin. First, 1 John 3 verse 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. 
Well, think of it this way. At one point in time, you were incapable of not sinning. Now, you've become incapable of carrying on in sin. Your new heart, made to respond to God, won't let you. So as you fight with sin throughout your life, here's what you do. Get into Scripture, pray, fellowship with believers, be under the teaching of the Word, and your heart is going to respond the way it was now made to respond. And in so doing, you're going to have all the strength that you need to win every battle with the flesh. So what does regeneration do or produce in you? It produces in you the inability to carry on in sin. Your heart will simply despise sin, yet you just can't go on this way. You must respond to Christ. It's great news. Here's the second benefit. 1 John 4 verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, your new heart, made to be like God, responds to others in love. We begin to love the people of God. We love the church. We love our enemies. We love in the way that Christ taught us to love. See, that's the second benefit of the new heart. I call it receiving Christ-like love. Here's the third benefit. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And John uses the word world as a metaphor for all the things in culture that we live in that militates against faithfulness to Jesus. You know, whether it's open persecution from the world or more subtle attempts by which the world wants to get us to abandon Christ's precepts in our lives, you know, all the temptations to seduce us into its patterns, it can be money, it can be sex, it can be power. The world is always trying to lead us astray. But as you come under the word and respond to it, and as your heart delights in scripture, you're going to find your heart gaining confidence. So now we find another benefit. We overcome the pressures of the world. The fourth benefit. 1 John 5.18 says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. You know, I'm often disturbed by the fear that many believers have of first, Satan, and then second, of demons and demon possession. Of course demons can harass us. They can't possess us. That's because we're the possession of God. Imagine the following scene. A cargo ship is moving through the waters off the coast of Somalia or Malaysia. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a very fast-moving, small, high-powered engines. Ruthless men are on board. They're heavily armed. They're pirates. And no time they board the boat and they take over. They hold the entire crew hostage. But imagine another scene. A heavily armed U.S. gunship is attacked. Their heavy armaments and their ability to launch airplanes in the air. Well, all of that tells you the pirates have bit off much more than they can chew. The men on that boat are stronger and better armed and better trained and more determined than the pirates are. When you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The evil one can't touch you, says John. It's true of everyone who has a new heart. For that heart is not soft, but fiercely loyal to Christ. It's ready for battle. That heart provides protection from Satan. You know, we haven't covered all that the new heart will do for us, but we've gotten a taste of the thing. Essentially, it means that the life of God is highly attractive to us now. We're by nature drawn to it. Yeah, we will struggle with the world and the flesh and the devil. But all we need to do is to feed that part of us that so desperately wants to be fed spiritual food. You know, before I was a Christian, you know, all the Bible studies and fellowship groups in the world would have given me nothing of what I desired. But now I'm a believer. My heart just can't get enough of that very same stuff. 
That's why we need to make a habit of feeding our new nature with the thing that our new nature desires the most. How do we sum all this up? What does regeneration, that divine heart transplant, do for us? I might answer it this way. It allows me to become a genuinely spiritual person, a man or woman in touch with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. It allows you and I to be living the life that God had always intended for us. See, that's the wonderful benefit that you already have if you're in Christ. But if today you are a believer, you know what I'm speaking about. But perhaps you've not experienced that yet. And perhaps today you're saying, you know what, that's the life I want. If that's your cry today, it's because God is giving you life to respond to him. So do something very basic. Simply say to Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I surrender my life to you. I believe you're Lord and God. I believe you've died on the cross for my sins. Here's my life, take it. And once you've prayed that, remember this. You prayed that because God had mercy on you and enlivened your heart and you have responded to him. Oh my, begin to live now in the light of the new heart that has been provided for you. Thanks so much, Sean, a great message. And just one question, why do you think it's so important to encourage brothers and sisters in the faith rather than bully them into submission? <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's always a sad thing when, you know, uh, believers are browbeaten, let's say, you know, Sunday after Sunday, or whether, you know, we've had some kind of a theology in the past that unless, you know, we're constantly haranguing people, you know, they're never going to come around. Uh, yes, we must be encouraged to be obedient. Yeah, we're going to have to be encouraged to fight the battle with the flesh. I mean, all that's there. But if we're born again, see, if we've really received a new heart, if the life of Christ has happened in us, I mean, then something has awakened. And every single Bible teacher, preacher, pastor, everyone, you know, we all need to recognize that as you look out on saved people, the truly genuinely saved ones, I mean, they're just saying, you know, pastor, teacher, uh, leader, help me. I I'm wanting to be more faithful. Teach me how uh, and encourage me. And so that's the primary duty for all of us. So um, I, this is such an important question, uh, not guilt, but encouragement. A great word, John. Thank you again. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Offering Bible teaching resources that provide relevant biblical truth is at the core of the mission and ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. Well, this month, we're giving away Dr. John Newfeld's new book, Making the Most of Your Salvation. You know, many Christians don't embrace all that is provided for them in Christ. Benefits such as our adoption, the Holy Spirit, and what so many struggle with, the assurance of our salvation. Dr. John's book presents 10 of the incredible benefits that come by way of our salvation for each of God's people. So make the point of calling and asking for your free copy today. These are biblical truths that need to be understood. Call today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your free copy of Making the Most of Your Salvation. And please continue to stand with us in 2021.